0: there. I'm Charlie Dice and you're listening to the life beyond infertility podcast, a podcast devoted to providing information and sharing stories surrounding how to accept your infertility and learning to live a happy, fulfilled life beyond it. As a life after infertility coach and someone who's personally been through the ups and downs of trying to conceive and passionate about helping women feel confident and empowered to take their lives back and find the joy in them again. I believe this area is a crucial missing link in the infertility space, and by talking about it and sharing our stories, we help break the stigma. So let's dive in. Okay, everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Life Beyond Infertility podcast. I'm really excited this week. I have a special guest, Angelique Chelten. Um, She is coming to us from, she's a, another fellow Pennsylvanian, so that's exciting. And she's here to talk to us about her position within the infertility space and how she got to it and to um, provide support and hope for those out there who are struggling.
1: Yeah, Charlie, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to learn about you and your work and the things that you're offering the community. Um, So yeah, I'm really pleased to be here. So I am a perinatal mental health therapist. I have specialties in grief and loss and in trauma. And I come to my job as a therapist as a second career after spending about 10 years as a, an assistant midwife, uh, doula, childbirth educator, lactation counselor, kind of all of the things um, in kind of like the reproductive world. But before even that, I had my own fertility journey um, that kind of launched me into this work. My husband and I, um, many decades ago did have, uh, trouble conceiving and went through our own, um, infertility treatments and struggles that way. I had, uh, two pregnancy losses. My first pregnancy loss was, uh, with my first, uh, child Calyn. My second was in my 22nd week with our son, Andrew. And my husband and I were eventually able to go on and have two children. Since then, uh, biologically. Since then, we have adopted, and are now guardians uh, for three additional children. Oh
0: my gosh, that's amazing!
1: Thank you so much for
0: being willing to share your story. Um, you know, I'm sure it's going to resonate with a lot of listeners. And kind of what made you make the transition to what you're doing now, like obviously I'm sure your infertility experience made that progress, but how did you kind of get to to being a peri health therapist?
1: So having gone through a lot of my own struggles and having experienced a moderate to severe uh, postnatal depression myself, I then was really interested um, at that time in my life in parenting and learning everything that I could about fertility and childbearing experience that I was having. And that's what led me into, you know, doing the doula work and the lactation work and eventually, you know, being an assistant midwife. And I did all of that for uh, about a decade. And I realized as I was working with these families that they had struggles and needs that extended beyond just the pregnancy and the birth. I saw quite a lot of people who had additional needs. And I was really kind of drawn uh, in that birth work. It wasn't so much about the birth to me. It was about the really intense, deep, intimate relationships with the families. And so as my children started getting older and I started not wanting to be on call, um, I started thinking about what kind of work could I do? that would, you know, continue this passion, but would allow me to, you know, have a little bit more of a routine schedule and answer these these larger needs that I was experiencing in the community. Throughout my entire career up to that point, I had done a lot of work um, with uh, families experiencing bereavement. I was kind of seen um, as, a, as a specialist and a subject matter expert around pregnancy loss in my community, invited to several different hospitals to speak at conferences, train nurses, do these kinds of things. And I've always resonated with that kind of work. As I was looking toward the next step, I was looking for something that would allow me to kind of pull together all these various pieces of my own experience, the work that I had been doing. And it just seemed like a really natural fit to move into, you know, mental health counseling. And continuing that walk with families, whether it was before they're, you know, having children and experiencing their own fertility journey through the pregnancy, through the birth and into parenting. So that's my story of how I got here. I think it's really great that
0: you recognize that, you know, it's not just the pregnancy or the experience of giving birth that causes mental and emotional, um, you know, situations to arise, especially for women. What's the biggest area of grief that you deal with, with the patients that you see, even if it's before they conceive or they can't conceive, you know, what is kind of like the number one
1: issue they come to you for support? My current practice is made up, um, probably over 75% of families or individuals who are experiencing some sort of stress or trauma around fertility. I have a large portion of my clients are uh, people who are struggling with infertility and are dealing with the grief that surrounds that. I also have a fair amount of clients who are dealing with pregnancy loss or early infant loss. Yeah, so this is a a large part of my uh, client base.
0: Yeah. And when folks come to you for support, is it mostly the loss of what they thought their lives were going to look like? Is that kind of the focus of their grief at the time that they seek you out? Or is it obviously with infant loss, it's different, but kind of what is the, I know with infertility grief, it's, it's different than, The death, you know, know, because death has a very clear focus for grief. Whereas infertility, you know, there's so many multiple focuses, whether it's going to the doctor's office for your annual appointment, seeing a pregnancy announcement on social media, um, you know, getting your period every month. There's just so many things that are hitting you at different times um, that it's very difficult to focus uh, your grief on one thing. And so it becomes very chaotic. When they come to you, initially for support you know kind of how do you get them started? how do you get them to share where they're at
1: um, to figure out what support they best need when a person starts coming to me by the time they're ready to come to therapy they're ready to say something they recognize already that there is something happening for them that they need support with so I don't often find it difficult to get people talking because by the time they're coming to me, they're ready to talk. They have something to say. Where the grief for uh, people struggling with infertility, where it kind of has focused in my experience is exactly what you've said about getting their period every month. It is a different kind of grief. It's, a dis- it's what we call a disenfranchised grief. It is not something that is clearly recognized in our society. We don't have, hey, I'm sorry you got your period cards, you know, available in the Hallmark store. I'm sorry your husband has a zero sperm count card. (laughs) We don't have Mm -hmm. them. So this disenfranchised grief is a grief that's not recognized by society. So people are coming in. And they, are, they have this experience, but they have no context to kind of define what's happening to them. So often when a client comes in and starts talking, they're just sharing their experience. And there are common themes that I find come up. One of those is, like you said, it's that every month cycle, it's a new round of grief every single month that can just be absolutely grueling for people can create even its own kind of trauma. It's this, you can't get away from it. You can't get out of it. You have no control over this aspect of your life. And so for people who have that real desire to become a biological parent, having struggles with that um, can be really, really difficult. Just uh, um, an embodied grief, like something in your body causes the grief another theme that i see that comes up for my clients routinely is the idea of identity and it does have to do with this expected life i think that as a society we have kind of a vision of the way that life works you grow up you get married you have a baby you raise your family i mean we even have Um, First comes love, then comes marriage, then comes so-and-so with the baby carriage, right? It's like in our nursery rhymes that like this is the expected life course. And so when a person's life does not follow that expected life life, uh, course and not by choice, there are people who choose not to have families. And those people, you know, don't suffer grief by not having The family that they expected. They have made a choice. And a lot of times they're very happy with it. Thank you very much. But for those people who are not, there's an entire paradigm shift that needs to happen psychologically for them, where they really shift what they are expecting out of their life, what they identify as fullness and success and happiness. And those kinds of things will often need to be reexamined. And, um, yeah, we'll need to be reexamined, we'll need to be uh, delved into. And these are like, these are existential kinds of questions. Like, who am I? What matters? What makes me happy? What are my genuine values that maybe are not expressed through having biological children, but can be expressed in other ways? So that's deep and hard work that I see my clients doing. Yeah. And I just talked
0: about this with one of my clients last night in a session. And we said, you know, it's as little girls and as teenagers, you know, when we go through health education or sex education and today, you know, in in our society, nobody gives us the tools. Nobody even talks about the fact that, we may not get that baby in the baby carriage if that's what we desire. It's all about abstinence. It's all about, you know, if you get pregnant, then your life is essentially over if you're a teenager, um, you know, and we're put on birth control or encouraged to go on birth control. You know, some of us, myself for 20 years straight, you know, and we don't talk about what that does to our bodies and the results of that, you know, until it's too late, really. And then when it is too late, I feel, and, you know, my client and I discuss, like, there's no, we're not equipped with the tools to handle the loss of expectation of what our lives were going to look like and what they were expected to look like. So if somebody comes in to your, you know, clientele like that, I mean, what do you, what are some of those questions that you start to ask them, you know, to kind of get that after their story is out, you know, what are the questions that you start to ask them to kind of pull that information to go in the direction of, of healing?
1: Yeah, I mean, well, so we start doing a lot of values work. And there is a form of therapy called acceptance and commitment therapy that I lean on deeply with people for whom it's not certain that they are ever going to achieve a pregnancy. And again, it's this kind of thing where you just don't know. It's like, as long as the person is like continuing to try, there's always that outside possibility. And so for them to come to a place of acceptance of, you know, there is that 1% chance, half a percent chance that maybe it could happen. Um, you know, it, it's really difficult for them to get to a point where they're ready to say, "I think I'm I'm going to be done this like striving. I I'm not going to keep putting my energies and focus into this thing because that often becomes like really the focus of life. I mean, if you are trying to achieve a pregnancy, you are literally the first thing that you're doing in the morning. Is, roll, is trying not to roll over too vigorously, but rolling over to, you know, take a temperature or, you know, go into the bathroom and do the ovulation predictor kit. You know, like, so your very first thought in the morning is what is happening with this? Where am I? What do I need to do? It is an entire, like, focus and life shift to begin thinking apart from that. And it's really difficult work. You know, how do you give up? You know, people often feel like I'm giving up on my future child. That person is often already committed and in love with this child that they wanted. And so for them to come to a place of recognizing that this child is probably never going to come into existence, now what? And so we begin doing values work we begin looking into what are the things in your life that are important to you, and you know, digging down through all the different layers of what that can mean, and helping pe- people to identify what are the various areas of their life that does have meaning, and then what could a life look like that is built around those values instead of an expression Of those values. So the having of the child is an expression of values that people hold. It's not the value itself, it's an expression. So if we dig down and learn what the value is, then we might be able to creatively think, how do we still express that if we are not going to have our own biological child? For some people, it could be moving into things like fostering, or adoption, or looking into alternatives, maybe like surrogacy, or You know, there's a billion options, but what could that look like if this one particular expression of those values does not seem like it's going to happen? Where now can we go? How do we build a life of meaning apart from this one expression of that meaning?
0: Yeah, that's really powerful. And, you know, I'm I know just from my own experience, and I'm sure with your clients and even yourself, you know, it is very difficult to do that. It's very difficult to kind of pivot, you know, especially when we've had years and years of a certain expectation being drilled into us. When you see that shift that clients make, you know, because obviously you and I are not here to tell anyone what they should do or how long they should pursue trying or, you know, what type of family they should have. Um, but when they have that shift where they're able to then say, okay, I I accept, that's the word that we want to use, you know, that this is my uh, trajectory. This is my purpose now. These are the things that I value. You know, once they make that decision then or that choice, where do they go from there
1: typically? shift itself is really slowly, is really slow. Mm -hmm. And what often happens is that people realize that their various values are competing with one another. That if I continue to pursue this, you know, biological fertility track, it means that all of these other things that I care about and that matter to me are going to suffer. So then they start doing some analysis of like, you know, what are, what's the likelihood of this? What's the, you know, how much stress and strain can these other areas of my life handle, you know, something like finances, am I going to have a retirement fund, (laughs) you know, like, and even like just my mental health, how much of my mental health can take this continual stress that, um, you know, pursuing fertility can cause for people who have challenges. So it's almost like a sunrise, it's like a slow dawning that people begin to realize that I have different things that matter to me. And the, the more that they do have to uh, live in relation to one another. And so when I put so much focus on one area, it's likely that the others will um, not get as much attention. How long do I want to do that? How how long can these other areas wait? And so it's like this slow realization that maybe there are things that are important to me as well as this other area. And let's start thinking about how to nurture these various areas. And so it often starts like creatively. What could your life look like, you know? Let's think about that vacation that you want to take. Maybe you're going to take a break from, you know, trying and you're going to go on that great vacation and you're going to live out that bucket list trip that if you continue this month to pursue, you would not be able to do. And so then people start weighing and kind of trying out the various areas of life and what might it feel like, what might it look like. And then that like creative work of imagining, you know, the imagination, what, what could, how could my life be full? And sometimes that's really difficult because creative work in the midst of grief can be really, really difficult. And sometimes you have to just sit with the grief and allow the grief to be, but grief has this, um, pattern of kind of like the tide that comes in and it recedes a little and you know it recedes farther and farther the longer you know time goes by so when the grief recedes that's a great time to help people move into creative work thinking what could life look like yeah and allowing their uh values to kind of be creative yeah and i think too i'm curious on your perspective you know because
0: when you and i work with clients you know we're in a closed setting we're able to kind of just one-on-one, you know, support them. But a lot of times once they step outside those doors then and life comes roaring back and they have, you know, other voices telling them, like, say, for example, family, you know, just keep trying. It'll happen. Like, don't give up hope. Just, you know, you're still young. You still have time. Once those pressures from society start coming back in, are there coping mechanisms or tools that you give your clients, you know, to use in those situations when they do go back out into the quote unquote real world and they have to, you know, deal with all those different opinions, I guess?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, it's really going to depend on the client, right? Because some clients, if they're still early in this journey, may find those kind of statements really encouraging. If you're young, it'll happen. Like they might accept those statements as being like really encouraging and helping them to feel better and like kind of give them hope and an extra boost. But eventually there might be a little bit of a change where the client begins feeling like, yeah, maybe it's not gonna happen. And this like kind of positivity feels a little bit like pressure and feels a little bit like denying the actual experience that I'm having, which is I am uncertain. I don't know that this is ever actually going to happen. And so just like continuing with that positivity could make people feel like you are not actually seeing their, their lived experience that they're having. So when the client begins to perceive this shift, that's the time when they need to develop the coping skills of how am I going to deal with this? And the first thing that I think is really important always is mindfulness. It's being aware of yourself and your own emotions because there may be some days where that feels really encouraging, that kind of positivity, it'll all be fine, it'll work out. And there may be other days where it starts to kind of grate a little bit, you know, like a pebble in your shoe. It's it's a little annoying to have that happen. And then there may be some days where it feels like hugely offensive and like really just offensive. And so... The question then becomes like, what are the coping skills that a person could put in place? Thinking off the top of my head, I have one called Pass the Bean Dip, which is seriously where you just briefly acknowledge and then change the subject. You know, oh, hey, how how is everything going with pregnancy? Oh, you know, yeah, it's going okay. Hey, did you see that new movie that's out there? Blah, 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 right? And so just like really, you know, Having a topic or two that you can quickly change the focus, and hopefully people are a, have a little bit of social skills. Well, they're kind of follow where you know
0: right. where the conversation
1: <laughs> flows. Maybe not, but sometimes. So, pass the bean dip is is a good skill. I also like you know the elevator speech, which is when you want to give somebody a little bit of information but you don't really want to get too deeply into it and that's where you maybe have three or four sentences that you're willing to say on the subject and whatever your ending statement is of your elevator speech you make it so that it's kind of final yeah so we're just keeping it you know to ourselves for now period right Mm -hmm, and if the people and most people will oh okay well good for you and then they'll move on If they continue pushing, then I like having the firm but polite statement. I don't want to talk about that anymore, but thanks for asking, you know, like being like really direct about it. And then you can repeat that one 30 times if you feel like it, you know, I don't want to talk about it right now. Thanks for asking. Those are three coping techniques that I can think of kind of off the top of my head um, about how to deal with other people's interests.
0: Yeah, I love those. I love the names by the way too. Those are fun. Yeah. <laughs> I'm curious too because for some reason and maybe you have a more, you know, clinical perspective on this than I do. But for some reason, you know, women's bodies and in general women, it seems like that becomes society's business for whatever reason. Um I'm sure we can look back and kind of track the regression of that, but I think part of what I feel a responsibility, and maybe you do as well, you know, because we've had these experiences, I feel the responsibility to educate those who have not had these experiences uh, in a respectful way, but educate them on maybe the more appropriate societal uh, mannerisms and things, you know, that it's not okay for you to feel like you have authority over my body in particular or my reproductive ability you know why do you think and how do you approach education for those that aren't in fertility infertility space that haven't gone through this to kind of normalize it not being the way that it currently is where a woman's body
1: seems to be the property of society if that makes sense yeah, excellent. That is a huge question, right? Because there are so many spaces in which women's bodies, women's medical care is not handled in a way that is appropriate. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that part of it is doing things like this, right? Having a podcast where you are speaking openly about what these experiences are like and helping to provide information a perspective using your voice to say this is what it's like to be have these kinds of experiences and you especially in this kind of format are providing a platform for many voices to be able to speak and to share so i think that that's amazing um so normalizing speaking about my body how you know what my body is doing and how this impacts my experience of the world and i think that that is something that is happening more and more Um, we have really great advocacy groups that are out there that are sharing information sharing these stories um, really working to educate uh, groups like resolve Um, Groups like Mm -hmm. the American Society for Reproductive Medicine that offers educational classes for professionals. So I think that education, I think that sharing stories and perspectives, uh, raising awareness. April is Infertility Awareness Month. So I think that there are really good ways for us to begin to bring these voices just into kind of the public arena so that the needs of these people can be like highlighted. People become more educated, more sensitive, have more empathy about the experiences that that people are having around uh, fertility.
0: Yeah, I love that. And
1: and just from your perspective,
0: from your own personal story, what would you like people to know who have not experienced infertility um, or infant loss or pregnancy loss? What would you tell people that We're coming to you asking the question, maybe.
1: Great question. And I think that one of the best things that anyone can do for someone who is experiencing a fertility struggle, a pregnancy loss, is be with the person who is having the experience. Don't project any expectations or hopes or anything else onto them. Just be right wherever they are. If they are grieving, grieve with them. If they are hopeful, (laughs) be hopeful with them. Acknowledge and center their experience and not your hopes or your experience of their experience. You definitely might have your own feelings. If you're a mother watching your child... Suffer, you know, with an infertility struggle that she's having. You may have a lot of feelings. Go talk to someone else. Come see me and talk about that. Don't talk to your daughter about your feelings about her issue. Be exactly right where she is, and let and let her know that you care and you understand that there could be a lot going on, and that you're there with her, whatever those are. And then let that then make some tea. You know let that be what it is don't project your own feelings and hopes and wants and needs and reactions onto the other person unless they specifically ask they may want to hear your thoughts let them ask you don't just don't go places that they are not leading
0: yeah absolutely i think that's a great advice you know in any realm that you're not experienced with but especially with infertility since it is such uh, personal and sensitive topic. Um, so thank you for that perspective. Yeah. And, you know, the last question I have today, and I always ask all my guests this is looking back, what would you tell your 18 year old self if you could, you know, give her any piece of advice for what her life was going to look like? Or, you know, this could be professional, personal, you know, whatever you however you choose to take it, but what would you tell that girl?
1: Oh, geez, that's a good question. I didn't have a pajama (laughs) spot. No, it's okay. Wow, Uh, what would I tell my eighteen-year-old self? Okay, I would say have hope. The journey is going to be nothing like what you think it's going to be. It is going to be very hard, and it's going to be amazing, and you will, you will be so happy later on. So just keep. Keep going. That's a great
0: answer. Thank you thank for that. Yeah. I, Angelique, I just, I've enjoyed talking with you so much, and your perspective is so unique and needed you know, because I think a lot of infertility medical professionals maybe forget about the mental and the emotional health side of things. So I really appreciate what you're doing, and it's so needed in this space. I just want to thank you for that. And thank you for coming on and, and, you know, talking about your experience and, and your work, we'll put it in the show notes. But where can people connect with you? What's the best um, way to get a hold of you if they're interested in your services?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So people can reach me at everlastingwellnesscounseling.com. dot com. Um, I'm able to provide services throughout Pennsylvania uh, through telehealth. And uh, my practice actually has quite a few uh, clinicians who specialize in perinatal mental health uh, and infertility. We even have a virtual support group that is available called The Empty Room that is available for families who are experiencing uh, fertility struggles. So, uh, you know, welcome to check out the website and look into that as well. Yeah, happy to talk to anybody who comes through the podcast.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much again. I really appreciate your time and you taking time out of your busy schedule to share with us. And please go get in touch with Angelique if you feel like you need support in this area. Thank you for listening today. Have a great day. If you like this episode, be sure to download, subscribe, and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening to this podcast. It really helps the show and helps me know the exact information my listeners want to talk about. For more information on accepting infertility and finding happiness beyond it, visit my website, www.CharlieDice.com. That's Charlie spelled C-H-A-R-L-I-E, Dice, D-I-C-E, dot com. Stay tuned for next week's episode.